Welcome to Not Your Father's Data Center Podcast, brought to you by Compass Data Centers. We build for what's next. Now here's your host, Raymond Hawkins. All right, so uh, it is July 14th as we record today, another edition of Not Your Father's Data Center, and we are pleased to welcome Carbon Cures Director of Sustainability, Eric Dunford. Eric, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Raymond. Eric, how is, uh, how is life up there in Toronto right now? I know uh, we are still gripped in the throes of a global pandemic, and us down here in the States, we're seeing cases rise and anxiety rise and wonder how things are going for my friends in the North. You know, it's been interesting lately. Uh, we've been going through a bit of a reopening on our side. Um, most of the case levels here in the, the province of Ontario are down to about 100 or so a day now. So, you know, it's been an unusual few months, but it seems that things are, are lessening and hopefully that continues. Uh, but obviously, you know, I'll have to be prepared to see uh, what, the, what the fall holds for all of us. Gotcha. So, I, I got to make sure I get this term right. Lots of my friends in Toronto have, uh, is it cottages? Or, so, are you, are you away at the cottage or are you in the city for the summer? <laughs> yes. Uh, so, surrounding Toronto, there's many, many uh, freshwater lakes uh, and including that's where, where my hometown is, is in that area. And so, most people or many people who are fortunate enough to have one have uh, cottages is the term they would use, which are just uh, residences or properties on one of the lakes uh, in the area. I think what the three big ones just north of the city, couple hour and a half, two hours where folks often will spend the summer. I've heard lots of folks uh, getting out of town because of uh, just making it easier to have more room and, and the kids not so stressed out being in the city and worried about the lockdown. So, are you fortunate enough to be at the lake or are you, you working every day? Well, I actually just came back from a week of vacation and uh, yeah, my, my uh, parents uh, have a property on the water and a few of my relatives do as well. So, I was fortunate enough to spend the, the weekend in the water in uh, two different lakes, uh, the, the biggest one being Stony Lake, which is uh, pretty famous in my hometown of Peterborough. All right, cool. Well, so you're you're tanned and rested and ready to talk about uh, <laughs> sustainability. So we appreciate that. Good stuff, Eric. If you don't mind, for the folks that that don't know, uh, if you, you, we'd love to hear a little bit about you, how it is that you came to be, to be in the um, sustainability business, concerned about our environment, and and then maybe even a little bit of how your connection to Carbon Cure, and then we'll get into talking about the the solution itself and how it fits into um, the the data center business. Of course. So, so to quote one of my former managers, uh, everybody who works in the sustainability field takes a bit of a tortured path to get there, it seems. Um, and I think part of that is that until recently, there hasn't really been as much emphasis on the topic. And so many of us you know, who have been in this industry for some time uh, originally came out of a different background. So uh, when I was in you know, university, uh, one of the things I was studying was environmental science. And, and that was always an interest for me. But what I really became passionate about was how to kind of infuse those values or those principles into business management. And so, uh, my background, I, I originally started in um, the field of biology and then ultimately did a master's of business degree. And kind of combining both of those backgrounds, I was able to bring that into a consulting environment and have been assisting a number of different um, organizations, private companies, local governments for the past several years working on some of the challenges that they face around renewable energy and, you know, uh, just being a more responsible either business or, or citizen or government. Um, and so, that was kind of how I fell into that um, line of work. And so, over those years, uh, I had kept close ties with a number of my colleagues that I had participated in the Masters of Business program with, uh, including a good friend of mine who happened to work for Carbon Cure. 
And so Carbon Care was founded in 2007, and she would have joined the company um, around 2013. And so over the last several years or so, uh, I was keeping you know in touch with her and understanding what was going on with Carbon Cure kind of from a, from afar. And then about a year ago now, um, she called me out of the blue and was just uh, asking me if there was any opportunity that I'd be interested in working with them uh, because a position had arisen that uh, she was uh, felt was a really good fit for me. So that uh, ultimately worked out, and that was how I joined the organization about a year ago. Gotcha. And so, 07, so we're you know, more than a dozen years in at Carbon Cure. As, as Director of Sustainability, you, your day-to-day mission, what, what, when you wake up every morning, what is it that, that you're charged with and thinking about every day? So, like all startups, uh, we all wear a number of different hats. <laughs> so, I would say there's about three things that are within my realm of responsibility. The first one would be uh, supporting some of our customers. So, as a technology company, we work with a number of different concrete producers. And part of my main role is really assisting them in, in helping to understand how to best use our technology and also how to engage with end users uh, who would be designing and building uh, you know, infrastructure and buildings and help them understand why they should be using a concrete made with carbon cure. So, that what I would say is, is the bulk of my effort and my day-to-day work. Uh, but in addition to that, I'm also responsible for managing uh, government relations efforts. Uh, I'm part of the organization and also working to ensure that what we do internally reflects what we do as a business and making sure that we continue to show leadership uh, on an internal sustainability perspective as well. So those would be the three things that I primarily spend my time on day to day. Gotcha. On the government relations side, is this um, uh, are there initiatives where governments are saying, "Hey, as we think about concrete in our infrastructure, um, mandating or or suggesting that that what Carbon Cure does become uh, part of a regulation?" Is that a thing? Is that happening already? It certainly is, uh, and especially in the past two years, we've really seen a rapid increase in the, the amount of interest in this area. So. Some of that is stemming from recent research. Uh, there's a group called Architecture 2030 that is a part of the American Institute of Architects. And they had done some analysis in the past year or two that was uh, revealing some of the importance of, of the issue of what we would call embodied carbon, which is carbon associated with building materials and products and, and things like that. So, based off of some of that research, there's been you know, pretty substantial evidence that there's a big picture as part of the climate and emissions challenges that are, was not being captured. Um, so, for the public sector, interestingly enough, some, something in the order of about 50 to 70% of all concrete is actually bought by the public sector. And so, if you think about you know, a day-to-day walk you might take in your neighborhood, uh, you'd see things like uh, street poles or you'd see things like sidewalks and, and parking lots and curbs and gutters. All of that actually is the majority of what uh, people are, are using concrete for. Um, so, if you think about you know, highway overpasses, things like that, it's, it's quite substantial. And so, as a result of that, a lot of public sector governments are looking at this issue and saying, you know, like, what can we do about this? And then they're becoming aware of, of the impact that those materials are actually having. So, just recently, uh, we've seen a lot of activity both in the state of Hawaii and in the state of New York, uh, where they've introduced uh, policy, policies and legislation that are directing both their own organizations, their own agencies to uh, procure low-carbon materials, uh, low-carbon concrete, and also to direct uh, where possible the private sector to follow suit. So, we would expect to see this continue uh, and that's largely because these types of emissions that come from industrial manufactured products have traditionally been one of the the most difficult areas to uh, quote-unquote decarbonize. Uh, so, we expect to see again that they continue to grow. And here in Canada, recently, the uh, federal government here released 
uh, a statement effectively uh, explaining that they were exploring opportunities through their own procurement to be uh, sourcing low carbon products as well. Well, the the government angle uh, fascinates me, and let's let's get into that a little bit more before I get too far down the path. Why don't we back up just for a minute and um, you know walk people through exactly what happens here? Uh, I love the um, uh, the video you guys have on your website where it talks about that uh, calcium carbonate, where where it bonds and actually becomes another mineral, and and the CO two is then captured forever. Um, that that video is super helpful. But could you take a minute and walk those of us through who who struggled in chemistry class? Uh, at a high level, what happens, uh, how it works, how y'all uh, discovered this idea or how you came up with the idea and uh, where it gets used. Of course. So I think before I get into that, I'll spend a few few seconds here just explaining what concrete is and what it is not. Uh, this is something that uh, I truly didn't understand in great detail before I joined the organization. But uh, just for, for everyone listening to understand, concrete is actually made up of, of a variety of different materials. Uh, so before you would see it actually being used, it's created uh, using primarily cement, uh, aggregates like sand or gravel, water, and then a variety of chemical admixtures that just add different properties to the concrete. So in that uh, selection of materials that would go into any concrete mix, you can actually get all sorts of different types of performance. Everything from you know like a, a foundation to your home or to these you know multi-story skyscrapers. All of those different types of concrete have different um, kind of concentrations of materials and different mixtures of materials going into them. But the key thing to understand is that cement itself is actually the primary environmental impact of concrete. So although it might only make up 10 to 15% of the overall mass of concrete, it's usually accounting for, you know, approximately 90% of the carbon emissions from the from the material. So, so I think oftentimes in my mind, I've used the word concrete and cement uh, interchangeably, synonymous. Uh, they're, they're two different things. Can you give me 30 seconds on what is cement? And, and then all the, I've, you've got, I've got, you add sand, you add water and some other chemicals and you get concrete. But cement is just what and what turns it into concrete? Because I think, I think of those terms synonymously and I know I'm wrong. Yes, uh so the common, there's a common joke in my family now because uh, many of my family members refer to them as cement trucks. And I'll always be correcting them because it's actually the concrete. <laughs> it's a concrete truck, right? Right. And, uh, okay. and then I get an eye roll, but you know uh, that's the technically correct uh, thing to say. So uh, the difference really is, and, and the analogy that's often used in the industry is an analogy that, uh, for a cake. So if you consider any kind of cake, uh, the base of that cake is always going to be a form of flour. Uh, and so, in this analogy, from the concrete perspective, the concrete is the cake, and the cement would be the flour. So it's the critical cement is the critical ingredient that binds all the other materials together, and it's what okay. gives concrete its strength. So it's really kind of the key critical element that goes in there, but it isn't the end product itself. So everything you would see, touch, walk on, you know, all of those things, that's all concrete. You would never, as an end user, really see cement in its pure form. Unless you're okay. buying it at a, you know, at a, a Home Depot or something like that. I got you. Okay. That's helpful. That's a good analogy too. I got it. So, so yeah, I, I just use the terms. That's a great example. I say cement truck, but in reality, what's in there is concrete. Exactly. Got it. Okay. So, thank you for that that tutorial. That's super helpful. Let's, go, let's move on from there. So, we put sand or we put little pebbles. We put other stuff and some other chemicals in water, and then it starts to cure. Let's pick up from there. For sure. So, when you mix cement, water, uh, and the aggregates together, that will over time cure, as you've said, into uh, concrete as the end product. Um, the interesting thing is, is that cement, one of the precursor materials to it is something called uh, calcium carbonate as a chemical structure. 
which is actually in, in effect just limestone. So the cement industry, what traditionally happens is you go out to the, the natural environment, uh, extract limestone as a raw material, and then it gets converted into cement inside of a cement kiln where it's heated up under pressure and really high temperatures. And what you get out of that is, is this reaction that is essential to making concrete. But the unfortunate downside to it is that this calcium carbonate, which is CaCO3, when it's subjected to that heat and pressure, it will split in half. And so half of it becomes CO2, which just goes directly to the atmosphere typically. And the other half of it becomes calcium oxide. And calcium oxide is one of the key precursors to cement as a material. And it's a key thing that is necessary for concrete to be made. Uh, so again, this is one of the really interesting challenges for the industry is that unlike many other industries, the basic chemical reaction needed to make the industry work produces CO2. Ah. And it's not doing that because of energy consumption. It's actually a physical chemical property that cannot really be changed. Ah, I got um, you. So that, I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, but in terms of our technology, what we are doing is we are taking a, a portion of CO2 from a post-industrial source reintroducing it to concrete as it's being mixed at the plant. As a result of that reintroduction, it will then chemically reform back as calcium carbonate or limestone. So the neat thing there is that what we can do is we can use this kind of unique property of concrete to take CO2 that would otherwise go to the atmosphere, lock it back into concrete in a mineral solid form, and it can then stay embedded in the concrete as a part of that structure for the entire lifespan of that structure. That is fascinating, Eric. So I'm going to try to say it in a way that that uh, even a dumb sales guy can understand and, and make sure. So what I think I hear you telling me is that CaCO3, so calcium carbonate, breaks apart in the making of concrete. Uh, so calcium and one oxygen molecule stay together and O2 gets spun out. And, and what we're doing in Carbon Cure is we're putting um, recaptured uh, O2, CO2 back into the mix and reforming calcium carbonate and capturing it in there forever. So, so it actually throws off uh, carbon dioxide, is it carbon dioxide? And then recaptures, your process recaptures that. Is that, boy, I, I think I probably butchered that, but did I get that right? No, you're exactly right. Um, so, as you said, the, the split that occurs when you really process that limestone is you get the CO2 that splits off and the calcium oxide is the part that we need to make cement. To make cement, okay. And then the technology, what it's doing is it's taking a, a portion of that CO2, uh, not directly from the concrete manufacturing process, but taking a portion of CO2 and reintroducing it back into the mix where it reforms that limestone material and then is locked in there. That is fascinating. So, so the process of turning cement into concrete generates CO2 and what Carbon Cure does is goes and gets CO2 and I think you use industrial CO2 that's been um, captured somewhere else and re-interjects it into the process to recapture it. So, so uh, a, a normal cement to concrete process producing CO2, you've reversed that. And I, I understand you're not doing it from the CO2 that, that happened in your chemical reaction, but you're getting it from an industrial source and re-interjecting it. Is that, is that good? Is that, do, I, do I track right? Yes, that, that's exactly right. The only thing, uh, the only caveat to that I'll say is that unfortunately, we're not fully reversing that. We can't take the same volume of CO2 that's produced and put it back in. We can only take a smaller proportion of it. Um, but that is effectively the, the mode of action that, as you've just described it. 
Okay, so it's not a one-for-one -one recapture, but it's recapture that wasn't happening before. So we're still improving performance. Exactly. So there's one other wrinkle to this story <laughs> that I will share okay. as well. And this is actually, in some ways, the coolest part. Uh, because, you know, as I just described what we did, uh, and as you very eloquently described back, is that uh, we take a, a small portion of CO2 and turn it back into that original limestone material. And that's the fundamental kind of chemistry that's occurring. But the really cool thing that happens is that by doing that, you actually see increased strength in the concrete. So if you did nothing other than add CO2 to a concrete mix, we would actually expect to see that concrete become stronger. So the really cool thing is what we can do is then by using this approach, you can also just use less raw materials to make the same end product of concrete. So by using oh. the CO2, we're actually then also able to reduce the amount of cementitious materials needed to make the same volume of concrete and you get the same performance with a smaller footprint uh, and a smaller demand for original source materials. So I think there's a great message in that for all of us, but also a really cool side effect. So, so by doing the right thing for the environment, by doing the right thing for all of mankind uh, and, and being um, environmentally responsible, the ancillary benefit is your concrete actually gets stronger and then you can use less concrete, which just uh, perpetuates the cycle of being more environmentally sound and uh, validating your title as director of sustainability. <laughs> yeah, so my, my, my only clarification on that point would be we use the same amount of concrete, but we would use less cement as a raw material. Okay, so, you, okay. so if you needed 10,000 yards of concrete, you would still get the 10,000 yards because that's what you need for the structural purposes. But some of okay. the raw ingredients going, it would be reduced. I got you. So I may need to. I may need the same size parking lot, but I can have less raw material in that parking lot to or less cement in that parking lot to make it work. Precisely. And one of the cool things here is, you know, you hear growing up in the '80s or '90s, you might have heard all of this that the reduce, reuse, recycle. That's really kind of how this technology works. It's you know we're reducing the amount of cementitious material in the first place. We're recycling the CO2 that otherwise would go to the atmosphere. Or, uh, and at the end of the day, what we hope to see is that uh, concrete rubble from whatever building is being deconstructed is then reused as another uh, product at the end of the day. As our listeners listen in and, and think about sustainability, uh, especially in the data center business, uh, the number one thing that everyone talks about is how much electricity data centers use and that that's the primary impact on the environment. Um, we've done podcasts about water and its impact on the environment. But the reality is these structures, um, so much of them are concrete and, and thinking about how do we do things in such a way that reduces um, our impact, not just with electricity use or water usage, but also uh, emissions. Uh, what, what, what a great story. All right. So this is fascinating how it works. Can you tell me who in 07, you know, sat in chemistry class and said, I've got an idea. How, how did how did this become a business, Eric? Yes. So uh, the original brain power behind Carbon Cure would be uh, the CEO, uh, Robert Niven, and then also our senior vice president, Sean Monkman. So they both happened to be uh, studying their master's degrees at McGill University in Montreal in Quebec. And uh, it had been known for a long time that CO2 was absorbed by concrete. So actually, as concrete ages, it had been known that you would have this carbonation effect where it would be pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere. So that had always been seen as a bit of a problem because that was contributing to aging of concrete. And you know, it was, it was a known fact, but nobody really thought much more about it until, uh, until Robin or Sean came along. Their thesis or their, their hypothesis, I should say, is they suspected that if you could put the CO2 into concrete when it was being made or early on in the process, 
that might have a different effect than what they would see as concrete aged over time. And so, uh, what I understand from Rob is that, you know, they, they did some of this research and the research seemed to be positive. And at that point, uh, his father-in-law suggested that, hey, maybe you should go out and see if anybody has ever done this before, if anyone has ever tried to produce a product like this before. And lo and behold, after he did that research, it turned out that nobody was actually doing that uh, at the time. So, that was really the origin of the company is that, uh, you know, with, with that finding and with some of the original research from their master's degrees, that uh, led them to spend a lot of time, you know, in the classic startup story of kind of tinkering in each other's uh, uh, apartments or basements or what have you. And for the first couple of years of Carbon Cure, it was a fairly small operation. Uh, but then really things started to accelerate probably around 2016 or so when one of the technologies for what we would call ready mix concrete uh, entered the market and started to uh, see some fairly rapid adoption. So since then, we've been seeing production go up about, you know, uh, doubling basically every year since 2016 and hope to continue on that trend and trajectory uh, for the foreseeable future. And so, if I'm understanding Rob and Sean in the basement tinkering, um, this this beginning thesis was as concrete ages, it's absorbing CO2 and it's, um, uh, it's uh, I don't know if weakening is the right word, but it's reducing its structural integrity. Now, I know this is over a long run. And they said, hey, what if we inject it at the beginning and maybe are able to um, head that weakening process or the absorption process off at the pass. Is that a fair summary of what they were thinking? Yes. It, basically, translating that concept of if we know that concrete can absorb CO2, what would happen if we did that early on in the process? Would we see that same... And, and you're right, it's a detrimental effect from aging. Would we see that same detrimental effect early on or would we see something different happen? And that was the, the interesting thing they discovered is that early by doing it early on, you don't see that same effect that you see from the aging. So it was known Fascinating. that the cement and concrete could absorb the CO2, but it wasn't known really what the early effects would be if it was introduced uh, when concrete was first being manufactured. I got it. So if we plug it in here at the beginning, are we just going to hasten the deterioration impact? Are we just going to make the concrete weaker faster or could there be some other reaction? And that's what uh, Rob and Sean figured out that it actually strengthened uh, the final product concrete and and um, made it possibly even last longer, but more importantly, um, recaptured the CO2 and, and helped our environment. Pretty, pretty cool. Fascinating stuff. Well, um, I know McGill uh, has produced more than its fair share of smart folks and sounds like Rob and Sean fit in that category. Eric, you alluded a little bit to ReadyMix. Can you take two minutes and, and just, again, in my simple neophyte mind, I think of, I, I use cement and concrete interchangeably. I know there's ReadyMix, there's precast, there's masonry. Can you give me just two or three minutes on, on where this applies? The easy one for me is, hey, it's sidewalks and it's overpasses. Those two I can see every day. You mentioned foundations, but I know there are other ways uh, concrete gets used. Could you walk me through ReadyMix, precast, and masonry real quick? So, masonry blocks would also be known as cinder blocks. So, they're effectively okay. the compressed form of concrete that you would see that has, um, you know, those kind of two holes in the middle of it. And they're often used in kind of supporting walls or other aspects of buildings. Ready mix Look like big silver bricks. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's the one you would see kind of in the yard uh, or it would have been, you know, around the fireplace or something back in the day. Right. Right. And then now, uh, when we talk about ready mix, what that is, that's anything you see in those mixer trucks. So, it's freshly made and it's delivered on site in a plastic state. 
So if you've ever seen, you know, construction in an urban center where you see those pipes going up and the concrete is being poured and it's fluid looking, that would be what we would call ready mix concrete. And it's typically, you know, then cast in place at those sites and it will uh, harden over time. Uh, and then the final one that we would consider would be what they would call precast. And precast is effectively you just do that ready mix type approach, but you let it harden and become a product uh, on your own manufacturing site before you would ship it away. So those would often be things like, you know, you see those medians on the highway or things like that, where they're kind of repeating units or you can, you can make them all and they all are basically the same kind of subunit. That's very common for precast products because you can just make them in bulk and then they're being shipped off of your property um, already, already made. So that's typically the difference. And so a lot of uh, commercial buildings will be uh, primarily ready mix concrete. Although recently in, re uh, in the last several years, precast concrete has also become popular uh, for these modular units and, uh, you know, as subcomponents of buildings. Yeah. So here at Compass, we use precast walls for our data centers, just as you described. They get manufactured off-site. Uh, we believe that off-site manufacturing helps with speed, but also helps with waste and and um, sustainability and making a cleaner, faster, easier job site. So so we use precast panels to, to build the walls for our data centers, which is, I think, how we got introduced to Carbon Cure. And I think of precast, I think of, I, I see those um, like storm storm drains or storm pipes that you see get, driving by on a truck. They look like these these big cylinders and they slide in together. That's all precast, right? Yeah, the, the culvert style would very likely be precast. And as you've said, one of the key benefits of the precast approach is, is the speed of delivery because you're not waiting for the concrete to cure over time uh, through the ready mix approach. So that if you're interested in constructing quickly and efficiently, you can have these reusable forms for precast that can then take the end product to site and it's already pre-made weeks or months in advance. So you can then just uh, erect them fairly quickly. All right. I'm, I know I'm maybe spending too much time on cement and concrete, but I caught a couple more concrete questions. So I see when ready mix comes out of the machine, right? The, 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 what I've always called the cement truck. And from now on, we'll call the concrete truck. When I see the concrete truck pull up and it starts pouring this liquid or, or almost you know, slushy like material out, I often see it going over um, a metal grid uh, that looks like they've laid rebar in place there. What's, what's going on there? Yeah, so the rebar is providing a structural reinforcement. And so that's one of the benefits of the ready mix approach is that you can uh, combine the steel frame with the concrete itself to provide additional strength properties. Gotcha. And so this is also another cool thing. And I'll, I'll just dial back to the whole CO2 discussion again for a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. Because one thing that a lot of people might intuitively understand is that CO2 on its own is actually fairly acidic. So uh, things with CO2 in it will become uh, a lower pH. And one of the key things about concrete is that it's typically a very high pH. So one of the good things about it with when you use it with steel is that it doesn't rust or corrode. And one uh. of the concerns has been a, a common concern we get is, well, if I use CO2 in my concrete, will I then get my rebar rusting uh, because mm -hmm. the pH is dropping? And the answer to that is no, it actually doesn't have that effect at all. So that's an, another cool thing that, you know, Sean and Rob would have been researching yeah. over several years to, to prove and demonstrate that that isn't a concern. So how long when we, let's just think about pouring a slab, what are we talking about for that thing to be dry and ready and hard and in its final state? How long is that concrete sitting before it turns into the final product? It can really vary and it depends a lot on what the usage is for and what the original uh, mixture of materials that have gone into it. Um, but typically it, you would see testing done at a 28-day um, cycle. Gotcha. And typically what you would see is that over the time that the concrete is aging, it's becoming stronger and stronger. 
So those dates of when you would do the testing are just kind of industry established guidelines that if it reaches a certain strength by 28 days, you can consider it to be you know, a good product and that it will have met the standard you're looking for. Uh, but other tests are done, you know, at 14 days, seven days, or even, you know, 56 days or, or longer. Um, and concrete over time will continue to strengthen uh, up to a certain point. So there's known levels of curing that, that you should expect at each one of those stages and you check in. And if it's there, uh, you, you assume it's good for the long term. Precisely. Gotcha. Gotcha. Fascinating stuff. All right. A little more business talk. So Carbon Cure, your customers, um, are your customers in all three businesses? You have customers that are mixing, you know, in the ready mix business, customers in the precast business. And in, do you guys have customers that cover all three sectors? We do, uh, fortunately. Um, so originally, the technology was targeted towards the masonry industry. And so they've been the most longstanding partners we've had. Uh, our current iteration of technology is really focused on the ReadyMix side of the equation. Uh, but recently, in the past a year or two, we've, we've uh, had three or four or five or six, uh, half dozen or so different precast producers come on board. And again, part of that is being driven by the interest um, that's being seen in, in some sectors of, of the design community that just say, you know, if I can use this for ReadyMix, why can't I use it for precast? And so that's an area we're really actively exploring is how to expand our, our partnerships in the precast sector as well. Is, is, is a growth market for you guys. I, I looked and it seems to me that precast uh, it has the ability to capture the most CO2. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Am I saying that right? Um, I, I'm not certain uh, what the definitive answer to that. What I would say is that normally with precast, you would expect to see a higher level of cement uh, in the original mix. So higher levels of cement would allow you to then uh, have a greater, yes, uh, reduction and also a capture more because there's just more cement in there. Gotcha. Capture more CO2. All right. So so 13 years in, Rob and Sean are are, are, uh, are blowing and going. What's the, and, and I think you said sales have doubled every year since 16. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So let's get back a little bit. You'd mentioned that you handle government relations. You talked about Hawaii and New York being on the front edge. Uh, what's the future? I think you also said 50 to 70% of all concrete is procured by government entities. So, so they're a huge part of the market. What does that side of the business look like, both from a regulation standpoint and from a, a penetrating the, those uh, customer bases and, and getting them to see the environmental benefits of what Carbon Cure is doing? Sure. Uh, so an important thing to understand with concrete is that, you know, this is a very old business. People have been doing this since, since the Roman times really was when this was first discovered. As an older industry, there's a lot of things that have been, you know, become standardized protocols or practices. And uh, the whole industry is governed by fairly stringent regulatory standards and engineering frameworks and, and requirements. And that's all for a very good reason because uh, obviously, the the problem that might occur if you do something that messes up your concrete for a 30-story building isn't something that anybody wants to see happen. Uh, so, really, the question is, is that uh, we have this interesting dichotomy in the industry where we have these very stringent standards that are that are governed by regulatory bodies and governments and all sorts of different people that are meant to keep the consistency of concrete uh, at a level that's acceptable so that you would see the performance you're looking for. The only downside of that approach uh, is that it really that approach focuses on safety and engineering technical uh, details, but it has never really traditionally considered the environmental impact of those approaches. 
And again, what it can do is that if I say, you know, thou shalt make me this type of cake, <laughs> maybe you say, I want a chocolate cake, uh, and the producer then has to make it exactly to the way that you specified it. So if you say it needs to have this much flour, it needs to have these many eggs, uh, and that's what you get. But if you came and said, well, actually, I just want the best tasting cake for the same price, somebody else could make you that product, uh, maybe even better than you imagined but they can't mm -hmm. if you tell them exactly how to do it. And that's kind of the same issue see. that we have uh, in the industry is that a lot of the standards that exist say very definitively, thou shalt use this much cement and thou shalt use this much water and that's exactly what you get. And that gives us consistency. But what it doesn't do is really allow any innovation or it doesn't really allow a lot of flexibility. And with these new technologies that are coming online in the market, uh, there's becoming a lot of different options that didn't exist before. So really a lot of our challenge, and I think the industry's challenge as a whole is how do we inform and educate and engage and, and help people understand what flexibility is needed to allow these new innovations to prosper without sacrificing all those very necessary concerns and considerations around safety and dependability and reliability and all those very good you know, engineering principles that we all should be adhering to. So that I would say is really um, the primary challenge the industry has to become greener. Uh, and I think from our perspective, what our mission is as an organization is that we are committed to achieving a 500 megaton CO2 reduction every year, year over year. So that's our objective as an organization. And to do that, what we will need to do is introduce our technology to as many plants as possible across North America and the world. Uh, and part of that is, again, demonstrating to these concrete producers that they can both use our technology the way that we advertise it and also be able to sell it to their customers so that they can then you know, also profit from using it. So that's uh, the primary challenge we have in the upcoming years. And from our perspective, we believe that our technology can be used in any concrete plant today. There's nothing technically limiting that. Uh, but the issue that we have to overcome is just, you know, all of these different regulatory bodies and all of just the market acceptance of, can I do this? How will I do this? And is there anything I should be worried about with this? That's just a common concern that is always going to be addressed. So, Eric, if I, if I understand you right, maybe the government affairs part of your job is the most important because if they're the largest user and, and we do business with government entities as well, they can be very prescriptive. Like you said, give me four eggs, give me two cups of water, instead of saying, give me the best concrete possible. Uh, getting those entities to understand there's a, there's a better way to, to bake the cake, uh, to hang on to our analogy, um, is, is the biggest challenge and, and the one that can lead to the most advancement, this 500 megaton uh, reduction goal uh, with, with more than half of the concrete being used by government entities. That's probably the most important focus as I, as I hear you talk about your job every day. There's no question that any kind of government uh, regulation or directive that would steer the industry towards this approach would obviously have a massive impact. The only thing I think I would shy away from is that, you know, we don't want to make the same mis I don't even want to call it a mistake, but we don't want to be blocked into the same thinking that is limiting the deployment of this technology. Um, so if there's a new regulation that just says thou shalt do X, that might that in turn in a few years preclude a different type of technology or maybe an advanced version of the technology that we have from getting the same foothold. So I think really it's what we need governments to understand is that uh, how do you acclimatize to this uh, pace of innovation and still maintain the standards without necessarily blocking innovation. And that innovation could come in all different kinds of, of ways. 
so I guess that would be my one concern is that uh, I wouldn't want to see governments uh, set a very restrictive model as to what they will then allow in incremental phases, but trying to understand a way that would allow them to adapt more readily and that we don't have to fight this battle every time there's a new change to the industry. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Give us give us flexibility to deliver the performance you need and let's let technology um, improve our performance over time instead of tell me how many eggs and how many cups of water. Exactly. Unfortunately, what I will say is that, you know, when you look at data centers uh, and owners like yourselves or others in the industry, the technology industry in particular has been incredibly supportive of this type of approach and other approaches like it and has really invested and put their money where their mouth is in terms of trying to do things differently. And I think, again, you know, like the, the private sector obviously has much more flexibility in adapting innovations quickly. And what we're seeing is that, you know, this, this increased attention to climate and emissions-based issues, uh, both by Compass and by other uh, members of the technology community, is really starting to have an effect uh, driving the industry forward. So, you know, I just wanted to, to thank you both for being interested in, in sustainability writ large and also other members of, of the industry, uh, because I think it's really important that as a technology industry, I think the world often looks to the technology sector as leaders of tomorrow in terms of what is possible for human society. And I think it's really great that one of the key tenets that seems to be underpinning a lot of this continuous technological revolution is uh, a focus on sustainability. Yeah, thank you for that, Eric. No question. Sustainability has been key to us from the beginning of Compass. And the reality is the world's not getting less digitized. No one's throwing away their data. No one's getting rid of their iPhones or their uh, Netflix. And so if it's going to continue to grow, how do we do it in a way that has the the, the least amount of impact on our planet and, and on ultimately on our grandkids' future? Um, super, super helpful. Uh, great explanations, Eric. Great insight. We're really, really grateful that you could join us. Uh, I certainly hope that you get some more uh, lake time and some more cottage time before the fall comes and, and weather turns. And I think it might be interesting to have Rob and Sean join us maybe uh, for another edition of uh, the podcast to talk even uh, even in more depth because this was fascinating. Re really, really cool science, a really, really cool uh, ethics behind why and and what a, a really early stages, right? There's, there's so much to do in the future. And I loved your comment too about let's not prescribe again. The, the technology keeps changing let's be ready for innovation in all of um, the future and how we do concrete now i know that concrete's not cement so <laughs> eric thanks so much for joining us we really appreciate it fantastic thank you raymond i appreciate it all right bud take care man thank you you too bye-bye